Welcome to MQL.fm, the Marketing Operations Podcast. Right, thank you very much for joining me, Valma. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, always happy to do podcasts and, and webinars and whatnot. But yeah, my name is Valma. Um, originally from Finland, have been in London now, oh my gosh, 11 years. And, you know, my entire career has been in marketing from studies to now my career and in tech marketing specifically, specializing in B2B marketing. And currently I'm head of marketing operations at a fintech startup called Ravalent, which is online payment fraud detection and prevention. So we use machine learning to fight the criminals and fight fight fraud. So what do you do as head of marketing ops? So it's quite broad. We maybe have not the most typical kind of structure or hierarchy in our marketing team, but I actually manage the team. So there's a CMO who sits above me and then I'm head of marketing ops and then the rest of the team kind of reports into me. I've got a digital lead, a content lead, a junior copywriter, and then a web developer currently in my team. We had SDRs and now about to rehire those. I guess from a day to day, it kind of varies from you know team management to you know just ensuring all of our processes are working well i'm in charge of our campaigns and different projects and sales and marketing alignment uh, which is a key focus so just really ensuring that you know the the engine is working and and everyone's going towards the same goal and um, in harmony to be fair (laughs) and what does your tech stack look like so our tech stack is so from a marketing perspective you mean yeah so marketing Um, and sales i guess we kind of base everything on hubspot at the moment so obviously we have other other technologies as well but i think it's it's safe to mention that hubspot is kind of our our bible if you might say so so at the moment we are using it for both um, our marketing automation as well as our crm when i first joined we migrated from salesforce to hubspot as a CRM system, we do a lot on HubSpot from social posts, landing pages, email marketing, email marketing workflows to, to our CRM, deal pipeline, whatnot, sales cadences. And then we also use Trello as kind of our project management tool from a marketing perspective. And then we also use Notion, which is kind of our hub for all the content and, and whatnot, kind of for internal purposes only. And at the moment, we're kind of looking more into intent platforms. You know, I've been looking into them for a few years now and, you know, there's been really varied results, but they're improving all the time. So kind of looking into into adding that to our tech stack as well. But I think those are our main ones. Yeah. When you Um, say intent, do you mean things like lead scoring, lead qualification, that sort of thing? So, well, we have lead scoring from a HubSpot perspective, right? But when I mean intent, you know, where you can kind of see what our target audience is searching for or we can see if, if they if we haven't tagged them as target accounts we can see like okay large enterprises who aren't your target accounts are really at the moment searching a lot about fraud detection these kind of job titles are searching about fraud detection or different keywords and then from that we can kind of get more insights about intent of maybe companies that might have a fraud problem or trying to solve that challenge that they have and we could help with that so yeah we we do lead scoring from a hubspot perspective but intent is more that intent data intent to purchase kind of yeah that makes sense so what drove the the change from salesforce to hubspot oh it was decided just before i joined so i kind of joined while we were migrating so i can't give you 
too much insight, but I think we just were not using it properly. I think that's, that's the main reason. Like Salesforce, you know, you kind of have to get it right from the beginning because otherwise you constantly do add-ons, 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 and then it just doesn't work well. And we kind of wanted to go to HubSpot from a marketing automation perspective. We used to be on use MailChimp and, you know, we were a startup, so we were using multiple yeah. different platforms and we just kind of decided that let's put everything under one hub so we can track everything. We were really, really focusing on sales and marketing alignment. And obviously, you know, we see everything from a sales perspective as well. So it's worked really well for us. Like obviously HubSpot has its limitations to some extent. It is originally a marketing automation platform and not a sales CRM system, but you know, it's, it's worked well for us. And so I guess from process standpoint, it's pretty interesting. You say, you know, you tried to aggregate, I guess, all of your marketing technology into one platform where everything is linked together. Have you seen that that's been an effective strategy or are you thinking maybe, you know, it makes sense to move to more of a bespoke technology per use? Well, it's, it's worked well for us, uh, but, you know, it has, as I said, it has its limitations. It might go to a point where we do kind of change our CRM system because we are really focusing on large enterprise sales and large enterprise accounts. So it might need a different kind of tech stack for that. But obviously that's more of a sales issue rather than a marketing issue. So from a marketing operations perspective, HubSpot is great. We'll never leave HubSpot, but the sales side of things, it works well, but it has its limitations and it might be something that we transition to in the future, something to support like large enterprise sales a bit better. Makes sense. I guess it's fairly unusual to see someone in marketing operations actually kind of almost leading the marketing team. How are you finding that? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say I'm leading. Well, yeah, they report into me, um, but it works really well for us, right? Um, my my boss, uh, who's our CMO, is is like, he's great at, you know, giving me all, all the responsibility. I started managing a team once I'd been there for three months. So I, I made it very clear that it's something for my personal development that was that was really, really important. And he's there always as support about kind of the day-to-day managing them and, you know, all of their reviews is, is done by me. And, and yeah, as I said, it's unusual, but it works really well for us. And, you know, he has more time to kind of focus on strategy, I guess, a bit more where I do more operational things. And if there are any challenges with the team or anything, I just talk them through with him. And now we're starting to do more frequent kind of biannual reviews as well with him so yeah it's a very flat hierarchy so it's a really weird kind of structure to our company but it works for our team at the moment so yeah I enjoy it. (laughs) You talked a little bit about your own personal development how have you found that in marketing in general how did you get to do marketing operations? Yeah it's really weird to be honest first of all I never thought I'd end up in technology to begin with you know girl at uni I was studying or as a student young student um I was studying management and then I did a marketing module and I was like oh my gosh you know I love marketing and then of course in those modules you learn more about like the cosmetics industry or fast moving consumer goods and you just always have this kind of vision that you know that's my field I'm going to work in PR or something in the fashion world and um, I even did you know my first internship was for a cosmetics and skincare company and I always thought kind of I was going down that route and then I kind of accidentally ended up doing an internship alongside my master's studies at kind of a, a venture platform uh, like early early stage seed kind of uh, investments and you know they were 
so that was kind of my introduction to the, the tech space. And I always knew I wanted to do marketing, but then that kind of went into, I started working for a tech startup. And then I went from one tech startup to another. It started off as kind of marketing and comms, which is, I guess, more like generic than yeah, then it went into more like campaign focus and then through campaigns that kind of from a comms perspective or from kind of more of a technical perspective. So building emails or, you know, putting copy into emails or that that sort of thing? Yeah, well kind of both because when I was a marketing and comms manager at my previous company, for example, I owned HubSpot as a platform. So that was my first introduction to HubSpot, but there we were only using it from a marketing automation um, perspective. And I was building the templates, I was adding the copy, I was scheduling the social posts. And I guess through kind of really owning the whole HubSpot platform, that was my initial kind of first steps into the operational side of things, the more technical side of things. And then when I joined Ravelin, I initially joined as a head of campaigns because I had been doing campaigns through, through these comms and owning all, all the processes. I got more heavily involved in, in campaigns and I joined Ravelin as head of campaigns. And then that kind of just evolved into a marketing ops role. So yeah, that's kind of how it happened. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a clear path at the time. Like it was a clear path in terms of, I want to work in marketing. I studied marketing. I've always worked in marketing. But then it kind of somehow just ended up in, in marketing ops and I, I, I really, really enjoy it. I really, really enjoy it. What do you think's next? Where do you want to go next? What do you want to do? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tough question. I don't know. I, I feel like in a few years time, hopefully I, I have the experience to completely head a marketing function. As I said, um, the entire team reports into me at the moment. So I, I'm involved in all of the different branches of marketing at the moment, from digital to content to web development. I think that's my next move to really head up the entire function. I, I, I love technology. I think I'll stay in tech, definitely. Obviously, I'm B2B is my specialty. I've never really done B2C. So yeah, I love going to start up see the company grow grow with the company put the processes in place i'm all about processes and that's been quite interesting what we've done during my time at raveling like really really changing processes and seeing how it's taken us to where we are today so really excited to at some point not yet but at some point do that you know at, a, at another startup possibly payments because that's where i've now been for quite a few years or the fintech space but maybe some other tech startup who knows <laughs> When it comes to managing a team, how how do you handle that? I, I've done it in the past with a small team. It can be very rewarding. It can be a ton of pressure. How are you finding it? Yeah, I think I'm really lucky. I've really hired great people around me. I try to keep it quite structured. We work in two-week sprints as a company. I have weekly one-to-ones with all of my team members try to give them feedback and mainly obviously constructive positive but more of a check-in as well just especially during these times you know really check in and ensure that everything's okay i am quite a friendly manager <laughs> it's just my my personality type compared to my boyfriend who's a very different kind of manager uh, but also a great manager i i find it really rewarding obviously sometimes it's had it, i've had my challenges it's sometimes been challenging you know handling expectations of your team members or you don't want to let them down but but yeah it's rewarding uh it's, it's really rewarding and you know try to introduce more of these socials as a team and 
quarterly reviews and annual reviews and all these kind of things just to get that flow of feedback both ways to ensure that it's really flowing so that's how it is currently that sounds great you mentioned there that you work in two week sprints how does that kind of process work with marketing yeah so we do kind of uh, a weekly sprint catch up so we work in two week sprints uh, on trello it's always kind of that sprint and we kind of have the task for that that sprint uh, and then every week we check where we are against completing those tasks and then after the end of the two weeks we have a company all hands and demos and here we would present what we've done during these two weeks we don't obviously present everything but usually it's a specific project or a campaign whether i built this campaign these are the results or this is a campaign we've built we're launching it these are the expected results or at the moment we're doing the survey we've created like a super cool interactive uh, data visualization landing page to showcase the results we're going to be demoing that for example this week thursday at demos so so that's kind of how it works it keeps us really focused on on the tasks at hand and then we get to showcase them at the end of the sprint to the entire company that sounds really exciting from personal experience i've worked in a number of marketing teams where there is no structure, particularly in yeah. that kind of sprint basis. Have you? I think it's quite, I think it stems from you know it was in place when I joined. I must say I'm not going to take credit for this. <laughs> uh, it's like it's a company wide uh, thing, and uh, a couple of our founders have an engineering background. So I think it comes from that that we obviously have a, a lot of engineers in in our company, and they like to work uh, this way. But I think it works really really well, and I I wouldn't change it. So I, I I love working in these sprints, so it gives a nice structure. Yeah. Um, I've worked in companies that are founded by engineers and there seems to be much more of a, I guess, more of a process or an approach to process that percolates through yeah. the entire company. Yeah. Is that something that you've kind of seen as well? Um, yes and no. <laughs> yeah, yes and no. Like some things, absolutely. But, you know, we're we're now around 80 people. So I think they laid good foundations and it's obviously evolved and developed since then, but they definitely have helped with creating some of these, these great, great processes that we currently have. One of the things I see with marketers is that there's often a strong focus on technology and tactics to come kind of detriment of the big picture. How do you keep that big picture in mind when you're operating in a, in a technological world where things are often changing on a yearly, if not monthly basis? Well, you know, we are a startup, so I guess we have kind of the blessing, if you can say so. It's a blessing and a curse that we can be quite reactive and we can do things quite ad hoc. We obviously try to plan. And at the moment, I'm in the process of finalizing our plans for next year, um, our entire operational plan, including like digital budget, content plan, everything. But we're fortunate enough that we can be very reactive and ad hoc if need be. We don't need to get uh, approval from five different departments. We always try to stay on top of things. We try to follow our plans as much as we can. But if new requirements come in, et cetera, or things change, we are able to be pretty reactive. But obviously, we'd hope to be more proactive than reactive. But um, it's, it is what it is. This year has been... Approving ground for everyone really in terms of how, yeah. how they can manage that. How have you found things at your company? I think we've done a pretty good job. So we were really quick to again react to going online with our events. Our marketing strategy is very content driven as well as events driven or has been in the past. 
And, you know, we've, we were very quick to build a virtual events page on our website. We used to host these monthly roundtables where we took uh, prospects and clients for lunches and wined and dined them and talk about industry trends and, and, and whatnot, uh, fraud trends, what's happening. And we decided to bring them online. So we were doing them weekly, eight to 10 people among, for different topics all around the world. And those were really, really successful. And we decided to focus more on webinars. We were always doing webinars because we were always doing these things and we already had a webinar software. We used Clixi Meeting for that. And it was just making it all work for this new primarily online world. We had big hopes to organize another conference again. We organized our first ever conference last year in May and we were supposed to do it bigger and better this year um, in March, actually end of March. We already had, I think, over... 600 registrations and obviously we had to cancel that but it's just thinking outside the box now we're being a lot more creative with content as well as i just mentioned we've done a survey which we'll now make into a proper research paper and we're thinking of different ways to make it into a lead generation piece as i mentioned this data visualization project but it's, it's, it's really cool you know it's interactive showing all the key stats um and yeah, uh, we have like a global regulations map around PSD2, like where each country is according to the legislation and the extensions and whatnot. And just always thinking out of the box how we can differentiate ourselves from our competitors or anyone else in the industry, just being creative and just being out there. So I think we've done fairly well. You know, you can always improve. And obviously we don't have the, the biggest marketing team, for, for example, compared to some of our competitors who have a lot more resources. But considering what we've, have i'm really really happy fintech's been one of the lucky industries particularly in london i've just come from a, a fintech company and i know that despite businesses being shut they're pretty much at the point where they had the best kind of monthly sales they'd ever had which is interesting yeah it is obviously it depends on the fintech but yeah i've heard that as well it kind of depends who your clients are as well yeah. you know people who only have clients for example in the travel and hospitality industry probably aren't doing that well well um, you'd think that but i mean the company i worked at who are you know very heavily leaning towards hospitality and pubs restaurant etc they yeah. were doing exceptionally well so, oh really yeah oh, well good for them that's yeah. amazing yeah well yeah, and I think some fintechs I know have kind of had to reinvent also their revenue models and, you know, <laughs> and that's worked well for them as well. So, yeah, no, and we, we are really lucky as well as a company. We had our Series C funding come through in was it July we announced it. So, you know, mid a pandemic, we had even more money coming in. And, oh, you know, we ha thank you so much. And we had kind of really big client wins for example in april which was kind of the worst month <laughs> of the year for most companies and we just had the strongest month ever and it wasn't obviously it was kind of luck that everything fell um or a lot of a lot of um deals closed that month but yeah we've been lucky as a company um well, I, but I also would, working hard to get there <laughs> yeah i'd say you yeah. you're worked yeah. hard to get there yeah no absolutely absolutely but just i am very aware that some people maybe started their fundraising a bit too late for example and then hence you know otherwise would have been striving but because of that and the pandemic are no longer um existing so yeah that's also happened how have you found that as a manager how have you found managing staff during this this time 
Oh, I must say that it's it's been quite challenging. As I said, I'm quite a friendly manager and I maybe care too much if, that, if I'm allowed to say that. I really care for my team and if someone's not feeling well, I take it upon me and I, I try my best to kind of ensure that they feel better. It's been a difficult time for everyone. Everyone's had their challenges during this time and just, so yeah, I think that's, it hasn't been easy for me as a manager, I must say, because I'm, I'm quite empathetic and, and I really, really do care maybe a bit too much. But also it's been super rewarding when you've seen it get better for everyone and everyone kind of goes through these stages and phases. But we're trying as a team um, to, you know, we have our daily stand-ups. We try to have team lunches every two weeks minimum. We're doing a bit of social thing, kind of virtual social stuff to try and keep the, the morale up. But I'm not going to lie, it has been a challenge. <laughs> I just received in the post from my company a... Uh... Halloween's on Friday, so they sent round a oh, nice. cocktail kit to all the employees and we'll have a, a cocktail making session on Friday afternoon. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, yeah. no, I, and it's, it's super important. And, and I think at the beginning, people were a lot more enthusiastic to join virtual poker night. So we had yeah. kind of afterward beers or whatnot, kind of virtual socials. And then the fatigue just hits everyone, but maybe you just have to force people to actually attend them, I don't know. But we also have a celebration on Friday, our actually Ravel turned six years this week. So we have kind of a Halloween slash six year celebration on Friday. So that's really nice. That'll be fun. Where do you see marketing operations and marketing as an industry going? So first of all, I think it's important to say that marketing operations maybe wasn't a recognized role a couple of years ago even a couple of years ago or even a year ago I'd say yeah and I think now more and more you see large enterprises or large companies but also smaller companies really hiring actively for marketing operations roles and I think it's been really really interesting to see that change and I think it speaks about the trend for itself marketing is evolving and developing and technology is key and there's more and more machine learning based platforms are becoming available data is king and you just really need someone to join your team who understands these platforms understands this data and and with this can kind of help take your marketing to the next level so i think that's kind of where it's going it's going to become an even more important role i think maybe at some point it might kind of yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be have a more of a like growth marketing kind of mindset as well, and more of a, a mix with a marketing ops and growth marketing. Because I don't really code, so for example, yeah. I don't have that background. But I think that might be a requirement in the future for marketing ops um, to some extent. But yeah, that's where I see it going. It's, you know, data just rules, and you can't really do anything without it. And more and more interesting kind of platforms and, and solutions are coming out there I think the whole intent buying platforms will develop and that's going to be a big thing I think at the moment they're a bit not that great but I think there will be a huge improvement in those as well. On the subject of data how have you found things changed since the GDPR went into effect if at all really? Well, obviously, we lost a bit of our database <laughs> because, you know, we, we had to um, 
you know, you had to ask them to opt in again, et cetera, et cetera. But apart from that, every form that we have on our website, there is the GDPR box that they need to take. Otherwise, they can't subscribe to our newsletter or download any piece of content. So in that case, not really. Nothing else has really changed that much. HubSpot is great. It has this kind of GDPR toggle that you can kind of switch on and it, it, it helps. So I think it was a huge stress and panic to begin with. But once we got people to opt in again to our database, we've still been building a database. It's been fine, to be honest. Sometimes they're scared, but it's fine. Yeah. Do you find that from a data protection standpoint, working from home is being challenging or actually because you have everything in the CRM, you're finding things a lot easier than perhaps businesses with less maturity in that point uh, would have? I think for, for us, it's been fine. From a data perspective, working from home has been absolutely fine. Obviously, our client data, because, you know, that's holy and, you know, but, you know, I don't have access to our client data uh, in, in that way. So that's fine. But from a marketing perspective, you know, it doesn't really make a difference. I don't need to be in the office uh, to, to do my role, but I do think it's super important. Uh, this is nothing to do with data, but just, you know, that face-to-face interaction is, is key. And as I said, we work really, really closely with the sales team. And usually in, in the office, we sit right next to them and there's that instant bouncing of ideas and hearing their conversations. And it's just all instant. So I do think that is super valuable and that will never go away. But apart from that, like from a data standpoint, we have all the tools and all the platforms to extract the data we need, do the reporting we need. So that's all good. How do you work with sales teams? Typically, I guess you might think that the marketing ops role would end at the MQL and the handover between that lead or that opportunity to the sales team. How do you how do you handle that? Yeah, so funny you asked. So we've changed the process a couple of times but this is where we're at at the moment so we try to separate inbound and outbound right and from an inbound perspective whether it's one of their target accounts or uh, another kind of account that fits our ideal customer profile in terms of transaction volume geography etc etc we'd have an SDR who does the qualification from when it comes in so let's say the lead comes in in the marketing team, they're called an MDR, and they would qualify uh, that lead. Is it a good fit? Is it not? If it's a good fit, it's an MQL, and then try to book a meeting. And once the meeting is booked, it would become an SQL, and only at that point it's handed over to the sales manager. So we are constantly nurturing them in the background. Anyone who downloads any piece of content or fills out any form gets enrolled into our nurture workflow. We're not trying to sell to them in our workflow. We just you know, try to provide them with more kind of good content and yeah that's how we pass over the the inbound leads um, to the sales managers but basically not until the meeting has been booked so it's fully qualified and yeah hubspot lead scoring is kind of working in the background as well we used to have that system in place that we'd score them and only once they've approached a specific score we'd hand them over but we were in all honesty we were missing out on a lot of good leads that were coming in but weren't scoring high enough but they were the perfect fit perfect job title perfect company so we kind of nurture them a bit and then hand them over to the sales team it's interesting you say that because there is within the industry i guess there is this approach to scoring where until a lead hits this threshold they're not qualified and your experience is very much that that approach is wrong or it just doesn't work as well as it could or should 
I'd say that we're still finding the perfect solution, but what we have at the moment works really well. Yes, there is a requirement for an MDR to do that that qualification in between. Some might say that, um, you know, and, and it is true, like sometimes we do contact them too early uh, because they're not ready to be sold to because they just kind of downloaded a piece of content to educate themselves about something. But hence the MDR first reach out would be based on that it wouldn't be like hey let's jump on a call and do you want to hear more about rather than it would be more like hey i saw that you downloaded our guide on machine learning would you want to learn anything more about it do you have any questions i'd be happy to answer any of the questions you have blah 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 so yes we kind of went against all marketing best practices <laughs> we implemented them but yeah we just i'm not saying it doesn't work but it didn't work for us there were just there was so much good stuff coming in that just didn't score high enough. So hence we went with this this approach, and at the moment it's working really well for us. Cool. What kind of process do you follow when building these automated flows? So again, <laughs> we we used to have a lead to an MQL first workflow, and then we tried them to convert again, and then it, they'd go to from a MQL to SQL workflow or maybe we could say like more of a top of a funnel workflow and then a middle bottom of the funnel workflow. And we would uh, separate it between because we target online merchants as well as uh, payment providers. So we'd kind of have separate streams for both. So for a small time, we kind of combine the two because we realize it's not that different, the content, but I think we're kind of, we're now looking to slice and dice it a bit more, but that's how it's been, how it's been structured. So a top of the funnel content, to more bottom of the funnel content and then customizing a bit more based on whether they're a merchant, whether they're a payment provider, whether they're a financial services company. So that's how we do it. And we send an email roughly every two weeks. Uh, during COVID, we put the length between the emails a bit, a bit shorter. And sometimes we do an ad hoc send if we had an announcement, for example, our Series C announcement, we just send to our entire database or if we had an event coming up, like a conference, we might send a, a one-off email as well to the database, but that's how it's structured. Are there any campaigns you've worked on that you feel particularly proud about? Or maybe even kind of any campaigns you've worked on that have been a failure, but you've learned something really interesting from? Yeah, so when I first joined, it wasn't a blank canvas, but pretty much so. And as I said, when I joined, I was a, a head of campaigns and I said, like, look, let's go after a vertical campaign approach. So let's go through these verticals. We identified our key verticals and we created vertical specific pages on our website. So there was a page for all of our uh, different verticals and vertical specific content from a guide to a product gauge sheet, blah, blah, blah. So it would really speak to the audience that we were targeting. But then it didn't work really well. So hence, <laughs> hence I decided after going to a few ABM courses and understood that that was the new thing. So then we started doing a more account-based marketing uh, approach to really focus on our target accounts and work really, really closely with sales. And that has really, really paid off as well. So I, I think that's kind of the biggest change that we did from like a campaign perspective. So changing from vertical to ABM and it was, it's just difficult, right? To get from a vertical perspective, from a marketing perspective, it didn't work. But then again, for 
SDRs for their outreach, it was valuable because they could attach a, a relevant kind of PDF into their outreach emails. And that was so targeted to that individual. And you knew that they were a retailer, for example. So it worked for sales, but not for marketing. How have you found the, I guess, ABM as a concept is a relatively new one in digital mm-hmm. marketing. How have you found the switch to it? So I was just reading about it. It was kind of, I don't, I don't know. I was just reading about it and then I got really interested. And then I had some companies reaching out to me, you know, their cold outreach to me. And then I saw a couple of conferences and then I saw there was a training course and I was intrigued. And then I did a couple of demos and then one of them invited me to go to their workshop. And I, I, I learned a lot and I was like, whoa, like, you know, I really saw the value in it. We didn't end up taking the solution that they provided. And we were like, look, we can do this ourselves. Um, we don't need a, a platform to do ABM. Like we can do it ourselves if we use LinkedIn, et cetera, and HubSpot properly to begin with. And yeah, that's how it kind of happened. And now it's everywhere. I think everyone's talking about it. Every marketing conference there is it's like ABM, ABM, ABM. And we kind of started doing it almost three years ago. Obviously, we weren't the first ones out there. Absolutely not. But I think there's been a shift to ABM in in the recent years. Yeah, I've, I would kind of agree with you. There's I've I've seen certainly a lot more over the recent years yeah. than I would have seen probably ten years ago or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah no, absolutely. Did you guys do ABM? At so the, we. At it's the... something we're talking about, but we're not okay. currently doing. But we. Okay currently target a lot of SMBs and I guess where ABM really shines is with the larger enterprise accounts but I was in my previous role our channel marketing manager was targeted by an ABM campaign for Snowflake the data warehouse company and everyone was like wow this is so cool and it was it was really interesting seeing even people in a marketing team being so impressed by this thing that is you know it's something that isn't rocket science no it's not but it's yeah yeah, it's it's pretty impressive (laughs) if it's done right it's done it's really impressive yeah absolutely yeah what else are you seeing in marketing along the lines of abm that you think are really interesting that you'd like to test you'd like to experiment with well yeah i think i mentioned the whole intent data side of things i think that's interesting like hubspot have launched a bit of an intent side of things uh, to like you can tag your target accounts and see how they interact with your web and whatnot linkedin have now launched kind of a company engagement report so you can you know upload your target accounts and see which ones are like most engaged with your ads or come to your website or whatnot but i'd be interesting to get it more on a more granular level and there are some providers that kind of provide it but either they're like super expensive and i'm not really sure about it but that's something that i would be keen to explore a bit more and i am currently exploring and seeing how that could complement our existing abm strategy and even if we are doing our marketing to them and sales are doing their outreach to them but we're not having any luck but we might get an intent report and see that they actually are really heavily searching this this topic or whether let's say it would be account takeover or refund abuse or whatever but it would give us an additional layer of insight so that's something that i'm interested in to explore further and i guess as a final question what do you think your biggest success has been to date 
Ooh. I, I might have to say the conference I mentioned. So we called it RavCon. That was our internal name, Ravland Conference. RavCon, yeah, very, very original. I was called the Secure Growth Summit, but RavCon was a lot catchier. And, you know, I went from never having organized a conference before. I was organizing these smaller roundtables around the world. They were global, but they had such a good kind of response from prospects and clients. So just organizing a conference from scratch. And we did it last year in May. We partnered with Google. So we're a Google Cloud platform clients. I spend a lot of money on them. We speak at their events. So I asked them to return the favor and they gave us their, you know, event space in uh, St. Pancras, which is their new office building. We, we had an amazing venue catered, followed by a networking reception with food and music and caricaturists and whatnot and we had I think it was over 300 people who attended going from never having an event at the company apart from lunches it was for me it was a huge success and it went so well the feedback was amazing it was a campaign leading up to it right uh, it was a very focused campaign uh, leading up to driving registrations building the agenda we filmed the whole thing kept generating leads from the content that we filmed from the event everyone loved it I, I think when you have so much great feedback from people who attended, plus also your colleagues, it just, yeah, it just puts a smile on my face every time I think of it. Well, not when I think about it from this year, because we had to cancel it, it and <laughs> fight for our money back. But I think that's one of my, my greatest accomplishments at Ravelin, especially. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I've really appreciated talking to you. It's been great. So thank you for Likewise. taking time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed this. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Have a good day. You Bye. too.